Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today I sit down with the CMO of Ping Identity, Kevin Sellers. Now, I'll be honest, when I was doing my research, the first thing you see when you come to Kevin's profile is a picture of Terry Crews. You know Terry Crews, he's been in so many different movies, TV shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's that character you all love. And I'm thinking to myself, what does a big B2B company have anything to do with a guy like this? How is that part of their marketing campaign? Well, today you'll hear from Kevin how he leans in heavily to the psychology of marketing. And he brings that connection, regardless of whether you have B2B brand or B2C brand, to thinking about a simple way to relate to our buyers. And that mentality comes from his career back at Intel, where when you think back to Intel, it was this brand that connected with us as consumers, even though we weren't buying Intel, we were buying Intel as a component of buying a laptop wherever that laptop may have come from. And I think that mentality is something we can bring into more of our marketing. This episode unpacks that. Here's my chat with Kevin. Kevin, thanks so much for stopping by to chat. I'm excited to understand how you chose this opportunity of Ping. And to set it up for our listeners, you've been at some massive organizations, Intel, Avnet, that was billions and billions in, in size and revenue. And so as much as Ping Identity is a big company, this is a much leaner ship for you. How did you decide it was the right fit? Yeah, it's uh, it was an interesting it was an interesting journey. I, I had gotten very used to large, you know, global organizations. Had opportunities to live and work overseas. You know, I had all of that, but really, it wasn't so much a move from a large company to a small company as it was more a move from a hardware focus on the technology side to to software and SaaS, which is you could really see the writing on the wall, sort of ten to fifteen years ago that the the power of technology had shifted from hardware to to software. And the user experience was increasingly being defined by more on the software side of things. So it was more a a desire to move into that space. And then, you know, when this opportunity came up, it kind of fit that desire from a business perspective. It just so happened to be a small, a much smaller company. And interestingly, I thought, you know, I know, I know a lot about, I've done all the jobs, I've done product, I've done, demand gen, I've done, you know, creative and advertising, you, you name it, I've kind of done them all. And yet the change in culture and the change in, in sort of how companies go to market, it was, it was a much bigger change for me than I, than I realized at the time, but it's been a, it's been a great journey. Well, that's a great tease to what we'll talk about later, which is how you go to market. But I want to get back to, to the sizes of organizations. And for everyone listening, I mean, Ping Identity, when you joined, was on the verge of going public, now a public company doing over $300 million in revenue. Um, but this is an, an older company that, I guess, was ready for that next step. How much do you think the, the scale that you saw at a company like Intel has helped you guide the company to this next stage of growth? Yeah, I think part of what companies like Ping and others in this space do when they recruit executives in is they're looking for a combination of agility, 
combined with really experience and the understanding of mature business process, right? How do you help scale a company from sort of plucky startup to hyper growth company to public entity and, and, and a more mature enterprise? And I don't mean mature in terms of growth. I just mean mature in, in terms of, of, of how the company operates. And so part of why they came after someone like myself was to help bring into the company a little bit more of the, you know, it was founded by a bunch of incredibly brilliant, wise, sort of business savvy startup folks, but they didn't have a lot of the mature sort of how mature enterprises operate. So that's part of why the management team has been constructed here the way it has been. And I'm a part of that. So part of the my task is not just in marketing, but it's also to kind of help ensure that we're thinking about things from a public company perspective, from, you know, how do we really not just grow and scale the business, but how do we mature as an organization to, uh, you know, address the needs both of employees and customers in, in new ways as we expand our product offerings and grow into new markets. And, you know, these things require, I think, a little bit of experience and understanding of how those markets and those opportunities operate. So it's a combination of marketing vertical skill they were looking for, but also some understanding of how mature enterprise actually operates. And it's, it's been a, a, a ride of a bit, a bit of both of those, frankly. So th this word maturity is is a unique one. Uh, it's one we talk about in our lives. You know, I got kids who are maturing and, you know, I expect more of them as they do so. How do you rally the existing team there as you go through this transition? You know, how much of that was changing up the team in some cases or coaching up the team? Yeah, that's a that's a really good one. In some cases, it does require a change of team. We didn't I didn't have to do much of that. It was much more around coaching. But you know, when you come into a situation like I came into, coming from a large, you know, big multinational corporation, like you said, billions of revenue into a much smaller company, there was a little bit of, okay, well, who is this guy and what does he know and how is he going to help us? Because we're very different. And I think from that perspective, you know, part of what yeah, what I had to do was to come in and, and, and get some wins under my belt fairly quickly, build that credibility, help people understand. I wasn't here to just slash and burn and change because I'm a new person in the role. It was to how do I apply the expertise that I've had and the experiences that I've had to help this company grow. And I think as I applied myself to, to some tactical short-term wins to build credibility and trust with the team, then it became a little easier for them to see, okay, some of the bigger ideas, he's not trying to turn us into an Intel or an Avnet. He's just trying to help figure out how we can apply some of that business process and some of the experience to, to just getting better, being more efficient, being a little more thoughtful about how we do things. Sometimes startups, they just, they move quickly, which is a great thing about a startup, but sometimes they can do it. It can get a little sloppy and, and, you know, you can confuse customers and you can, you know, you can, you can be pretty ineffective in how you communicate. So it was, it was really that it was really a, more of a coaching job versus a, you know, change everything out kind of perspective. Cause I, you know, you don't want people to look at you as a new leader and say, oh, he's just going to bring in his people and he's going to change it. And I thought, no, I'm not. That's, that's an arrogant approach. I want to make sure that they understand I'm here to, uh, as much as I can hope and coach them, I want them to, to also train and coach me. And we work together and, and we work pretty hard on developing that relationship. And it's been, it's been a really great ride for us so far. So one of the things you, you said in, in a very open and honest way that I appreciate there is 
you wanted to make sure people weren't worried that you'd make them into, into an Intel. But Intel is this amazing brand and, and you spent almost 13 years there. I, I'm curious, just touching on your time there, what was it that kept you there for so long? I mean, it looks like you had so many different opportunities and roles there overseeing you know, countries and, and different uh, you know, assignments. What kept you there? And then eventually I want to ask you what, what got you to leave. You know, I was, I was I was actually there for actually a little over twenty years. I go back. I came right out of uh, grad school, right into uh, right into Intel, and um, believe it or not, I actually started off in finance. I actually graduated with an MBA, and I went into the, I went the finance route. And after a few years, I realized I was a bit of a square peg in a round hole, and was much more of a creative thinker, what much more of a someone who focused on communication and connecting and. So it's a, it's a longer story than we have, but I eventually made my way into marketing. And, and, and part of what kept me at, at, in, at Intel for so long was it was a big company that was growing. So there was always opportunity to do new and unique things. And Intel was big on hiring from within and promoting from within. So that, that culture was an exciting culture and it gave us opportunities to grow and expand. So from the macro perspective, that's one of the reasons I stayed. But the other thing from a marketing perspective is I had such admiration for how Intel had broken the mold. You know, a lot of technology companies, even large technology companies, didn't think about marketing that much, right? It was always about the product. It was always about the technology or the innovation. And Intel, really under Andy Grove, who was just a, a, a very visionary, legendary CEO, he realized that there, there's a fundamental, you know, one of those immutable laws of growth, right? You have to have two things to be successful. One is you have to have a great product or a great service, whatever business you're in. There has to be something tangibly good and unique and special about that. But on the other hand, you've got to be able to connect with your audience and communicate those, th those benefits and communicate how you can help them solve problems. And if you don't do that, you know, you're just, you're never, that, that product, that service, that thing that you've created, that innovation you have will never grow and be as big as it, as it needs to be. So those are the two. And so Intel recognized that very, very early and invested in, in marketing and in and, and very innovative ways. It kind of wrote the book on ingredient branding, right? Yeah, we didn't sell products to consumers, and yet we communicated directly to them to connect them with, hey, it's not just what I buy that's on the outside that matters, but think about what's on the inside. So it was iconic moves like that and the investments that, that, that the company made that helped me realize this was not just a company that invested in marketing as a, you know, a tax or as a got to do certain things. It was a company that believed wholeheartedly that great marketing would move the needle. And sure enough, it did. It, it, it made a huge difference in, uh, in, the, in the top and bottom line at Intel for the, while the time I was there. So I didn't want to leave because I, I felt like I was in school the whole time. I was constantly learning, developing, growing, getting better because it was a great marketing culture. Well, we're going to come back to, to some of the way they went to market, I think, in, a, in the second part of our chat. But I am curious, what, what did, you, did push you to leave and, and ultimately have the opportunities to become a CMO? My last job at Intel, I was um, running their advertising and, and, and digital marketing. And, and I was just, I was loving it, having a great time. And they, the CEO stepped down and had a great relationship with the CEO. And they brought in, or they hired a new CEO from within who was, he was a manufacturing guy. He didn't have a lot of, didn't place a lot of value in marketing and had come in and said, look, we're going to make a bunch of changes and decided that none of the people on the, he actually fired the CMO, which was a huge mistake. 
Um, she was brilliant and, and that was a big mistake, but then decided he wanted to bring somebody external. And so a lot of us realized, okay, the writing was a bit on the wall. So almost all the VPs that were there at the time decided it was time to go. And, and I looked at it and said, look, I've been here over 20 years. I'm not going to get a chance to be the CMO here. It's just probably a good time. You know, and you kind of hit that point in your career at times where you're like, you know, it's now probably a time for change. I feel like I'd learned so much and it was time to now go on and, and, and become a CMO on my own. It wasn't going to happen there. And so that's ultimately why I left. Interesting. Interesting. I'm, I'm sure that was a scary time, though, in your career. I mean, being a veteran of a company that long and wondering what could be next, but, you know, inspiring as well to see what you've gone on to accomplish, uh, you know, being the CMO now of two extremely successful companies. Uh, that's that's got to feel like a like a blessing. Oh, yeah. And you. Br I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. At the time, I was like, I felt inside this is the right thing to do. But it was scary because I, you know, I, I decided to step away and didn't have my next role figured out yet. And, you know, thankfully, I was in a position where I didn't have to, to, to worry so much about that at that point. But it was still scary. Right. And then you realize that when you live in your world and you're, you just have this kind of micro filter on you know, the vertical world you're living in, to be able to step back and see just how big and amazing and how many incredible opportunities really are out there was the biggest learning thing for me. Because I just, I just lived this world of Intel and, and, and Intel's ecosystem. And I thought about my career in terms of that. And, and at, at one point I thought, you know, I'll probably just stay here and retire here. It's such a great company. And I was loving my jobs. But to be able to step back and realize that, man, there's so much out there is, is, was the big blessing. It just, I just didn't know it at the time. And then when I eventually realized that and these opportunities started to come in, then it was like, man, maybe I should have thought about this earlier, even though I have no regret over my time at Intel. But uh, it, it, it has opened me up to realize, yeah, it, there's just a big, big world of opportunity out there for all of us. For sure. Listen, I, I never say everything happens for a reason, but everything presents an opportunity and you, you definitely took it. Kevin, we'll, we'll take a quick break here. We'll be back to chat a little bit more about the buyer journey right after this break. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. Kevin is so right. I remember back being probably in university and starting to see some of these Intel commercials and not understanding why they were advertising to me. I wasn't the one building the computer. It was just what was inside. But that's the genius of it. It started to be required to have an Intel chip inside of your laptop. You didn't want one that didn't have that stamp of approval. And I think we see this more and more both in terms of our consumer marketing. You know, these days I love buying plant-based burgers that have this Beyond Meat product in it. You know, it's that idea of what it's built with. 
And I think more and more as the world becomes more custom, the components of what is our inside will become more important as Kevin highlights here. So it's a matter of thinking about how you build trust as being part of a grander solution through marketing. We're back here and I wanna go back to your point on Intel and how creative they were with marketing for something that was really a component in my mind. And as you put it, what's on the inside matters. And I think, you know, with a lot of B2B marketing, we often say, well, we gotta be boring and we gotta to get to the point and we gotta to talk to people what they care about. How have you challenged that coming into a brand like Ping? Yeah, you know, it's it, it's ultimately, if you think about marketing, what it is we do is it's really applied psychology. That's that's what we do, right? We're we're trying, each of us are trying to find a little space in the mind of our audience, which is hard to do. We all know that. In the world of of media explosion, I think what is the number now? It's up to fifteen thousand messages a day that that our that consumers receive or or certainly are. Uh, in our case, B2B buyers. So how do you how do you deal with the fact that you're supposed to connect with that audience and yet they're just getting bombarded every second of the day through multiple ways, through different media channels? It's really hard. I mean, marketing in, in this uh, in this decade is uh, is a very, very difficult thing. But I kind of take it back to, you know, what's that simple human truth? What's that clear insight about your brand, your company, the products and services you offer that's relevant to your audience. And now, and then how can I communicate that in a unique way? I'll talk for just a second about Intel, but then really bring it back to the difference that we've, we've made here at Ping, I think is, at Intel was a very simple truth that we are the brains of the computer. We're on the inside. So we started telling stories about being on the inside and how important the inside matters. And it was different than what everybody else was saying but it was also really important and very relevant and it was built on a truth. It's built on the truth that all of us are unique because of what's on the inside, not so much about what's on the outside. And so building a, a entire brand proposition on that very simple human truth and then wrapping some powerful story and, and sort of advertising elements around that enabled Intel to completely separate itself from every other semiconductor company in the world and become a household brand name for something that you don't buy, right? It's like, think about that, how powerful that is from a marketing perspective. So to come into this role that I'm in, it's, it's the same thing. I'm in the cybersecurity space. Cybersecurity is all the rage these days, especially as we, with COVID, we've just dramatically accelerated the move to a digital first economy. So everything's digital now. So that means everyone needs to know that I'm secure online, but I'm also, I can also have, you know, really good kind of low friction or frictionless experiences. Nobody wants to have to log in every time they do anything. Nobody, but they also don't want to sacrifice security. So the issue for us is most companies in this space kind of have the same tone, the same message. Trust me. Trust my products. We're the trusted partner. So how do you break through when that's kind of the norm of the message? And, and you made the point earlier, which I think is a really important one. Most brands in the B2B space want to talk product. They want to talk about speeds and feeds and capabilities, and they just want to overwhelm you with how great their product is. Well, the simple human truth for our buyers, we all know this, right? They're not actually shopping for products. 
right? They're really looking for solutions to their problems, right? And so how do we position ourselves as we're not a product. This don't, don't worry about how fast or good or quick or easy. How about we focus on your concern? What are the, what are the problems you're trying to solve and how can we enable that solution to, to happen, to, to be real? So one of the things we did was, okay, if we know we need to talk about solutions, we know the, the space is incredibly crowded, but we also know at the other end of that transaction is a human being, right? Yes, they're B2B, but if you think about it, and people don't really, haven't really grokked this yet, a B2B purchase is more emotional than a B2C purchase, right? And what do I mean by that? Well, if you, if you advertise me Coke versus Pepsi, and I decide, you know, I'm a Coke person, but I'm gonna go try Pepsi because those ads are really good and it looks delicious, and I go out and I try the Pepsi and I don't like it, I've spent a dollar. Not that big of a deal, right? It's not a terribly emotional purchase, right? Even though those brands attempt to make it so. But in B2B, if I deploy a solution that somehow brings down my network or you know, reveals confidential personal information or you know, creates a terrible experience so that our customers don't return, right? I'm fired. Like I don't have a job anymore. And so the level of emotion attached to a B2B purchase is such that, and why don't we not play, but why don't we tap into that and recognize that the emotion that, that that buyer has to go through is so important. So let's talk about that. So what we've done is like, you know, we took, we took this concept ping, again, not a big company at this point, still just, uh, just over $300 million. But, you know, we decided to play on that notion of applied psychology that I mentioned earlier. And we, we leveraged a really important influencer that kind of embodies the nature of what we do. We, we're a brand that we want to project strength, you know, this energy, this unbounded optimism. So we, we tapped into this, this idea of influencers, right? Where people, people will listen to other people talk about your brand more than they'll listen to you talk about your brand. So we followed that same principle and created a, you know, a character embodied by someone that's well-known that really portrays the values of our brand. And we started telling the story of Ping and how, how that brand can solve your problems and work with you to, to embody that. And, and that's the campaign we launched. It's the, the Chief Identity Champion campaign. And um, it's been really good. It's been a very positive, been really well received. And it's, it's clearly played a role in some of our, uh, of our growth. And, uh, but it's also helping to differentiate us and connect on a more emotional level because we're telling stories. We're doing it in a fun way. It's great. Honestly, it's great. I, and you're, you're not hitting on who you grabbed, which is Terry Crews, who's, something, who's someone who literally I think everyone knows his, his face and his uh, persona definitely aligns with your idea of strength without a doubt. Uh, my kids know Terry Crews from watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine and you know, I know him from a whole bunch of movies. And I think it's, it's something you don't expect from a B2B brand. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, even as they were listening to you describe influencer, our first gut often in B2B is, well, who's an influencer in our category? Or who's, you know, which analyst can I get to talk about this? Or, you know, someone who's had success in our space versus someone who, as you said, just has those, that alignment. And, I, and I'm going to come back to your, your first words in this segment were applied psychology. And it's, it's interesting. We don't talk enough about psychology with marketing. And I think you're making such a, a logical connection. here. Yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, it, 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 when you, when you, when you try to, position your brand, the most important thing is obviously to be authentic. And I know that's the most overused word in all of marketing. So I, I almost cringe to say it, but, but there has to be a genuineness about it. People can read through the smoke and mirrors. And so 
when we decided, when we started thinking about, is there an influencer that would embody who we are and what our brand really stands for? There's obviously a lot of famous people that could be well-recognized, but we, we, we selected Terry again because of that idea that he projects this notion of strength and security and energy and optimism. And those are the things that really aligned with us. So as you think about if you go down the path of an influencer or, or whatever path you go down as, as a brand, it's just connecting the values of the company and the personality of the company with that message, because then it becomes something that people experience and then if they experience it and they and they can kind of sense that authenticity across the, all the touch points, it just builds for a much better relationship and a more likelihood that they're going to continue and, and can you know buy from you going forward and talk about you to others. I mean, there's the whole network effect of this that we try to tap into. But yeah, that's why we picked Terry's. He really embodies so much about what we value and what is what is about us. That's great. It's a, it's a great uh, lesson that I think we can all take away, and it and it. I continue to sit here and think back to Intel and just being, I remember being a kid and, and not understanding as an aspiring marketer why they were doing marketing. Like I was like, I'm not buying Intel chips, but it, it got me to look for that sticker when I was buying my next computer. And, and I think it's that same association. It's I want strength. I'm going with Ping Identity because of the strength that you're showing that you can apply for me. And, and I understand that through something as simple as the influencer that you choose. I, I think it's brilliant. Kevin, we're gonna keep you around. One more break here and we'll hit you with some rapid fire questions on the marketer's journey. This idea of psychology and marketing is really about making your marketing relatable, making it relevant. And this is something I'll brag for a moment. My team, a couple of years ago, created this set of videos that explained what we do. And what Uberflip does can be hard to explain at times. So we went with a very simple approach. We actually hired an agency that wasn't a traditional B2B agency. We took a more B2C approach. We hired great actors. And we told this story of explaining Uberflip like you were five years old. The simplicity of it was fun, it was entertaining, and still today, people will call up and say, it's that video that hooked me. It showed me what you did, but it also showed me that you were relatable. And I think that's the approach, whether you're hearing about a Terry Crews approach or you're hearing about a video that's relatable or the content you create. We need to make marketing something that people want to lean into. Kevin, we have unpacked your career journey. We've talked about the importance of psychology. Now we're going to get into how quickly your brain can work through some rapid fire questions. First one I've got for you, and, and you've gotten to have quite a few tours of duty as you described it in Intel, but when you think of that next CMO, maybe they're on your team that you're admiring, are they coming through as a specialist in an area of marketing or more of a generalist? A great CMO has to be somewhat of a generalist, but there are a lot of jobs open that will hire specialists, but I still believe in having broad, generalized skill sets to be a CMO. Makes sense. Next one for you here is, is you know, as you look at your team and, you know, we talked about the importance of psychology, but what else do you wish they would zero in on more as a marketing skill on a day-to-day -day basis? Simplicity. 
it is the hardest thing in marketing to keep your messaging and positioning simple, especially in the technology space. So that's the thing I think is an underappreciated skill. I love that. I love that. Distilling what we do is so important. Uh, let's kind of weave that into content and, and content marketing. What, what type of content gets you to click through these days? Personalization. I mean, some, so when someone reaches out to me and has connects with me on things that are relevant to my space, that, that resonates and gets me to take action. So I think personalization is, is incredibly important in today's world. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so true. And, and in all of our human lives, uh, we're, we're clicking on personalized experiences, Netflix, Spotify, you know, all those great ways that we, we engage as a result of what's put in front of us. My, my second last question here is more of a fun one. You know, you, you landed Terry Crews. That's, that's pretty cool. Who's another star that you hope you get to work with on another brand one day? If you could just align anyone by a fit, who, who is that person that would be fun for you? Um, it's probably uh, someone like a Jerry Seinfeld or a Jim Gaffigan. I just love comedians. So that, it would be a comedian for sure. That's awesome. Both great, great picks. Uh, Jim makes me crack up. The simplicity, again, of his jokes and what he pokes at, it's, uh, he, he hits it so well on, on things that are part of our everyday. Uh, my last question for you is, is one I like to ask everyone, and, and that's, you know, as we talk about a journey, how do you take a break for your personal journey? How do you take a break from the, the busy routines of a CMO, the responsibilities? I, I think you have over 65 marketers on your, on your team today. I mean, that's a lot of responsibility. How, how do you find time for yourself? It's, uh, in this world, it's very difficult, but I think it's, it's the discipline of just blocking off time and turning off the digital channels that get to you. So sometimes it's staying home with my wife, our kids are now grown, or when we really need a break, then we'll go somewhere. And we love to go places that are off the grid, Africa, you know, Central America, we'll go places that are off the grid just to kind of force that break. It's very hard to be off when you're on the grid. So. It's so true. Where, where's your next uh, get to spot? Uh, well, my Greece for my wife and I, we haven't done Greece yet. So that's next on our list uh, of wanting to see places. So that's where we'll go next, probably this year. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Everything you've shared today is, has been just that, Kevin. I, I can't thank you enough for jumping on and everyone tuning in gets to hear different perspectives on this podcast. Yours is one. We've got a, a lot of amazing others. If you check back on the 100 plus episodes that we've recorded Every CMO's journey is a little different. Yours, as you listen, is probably taking its own path. And one day, hopefully, you'll be on here to share. Until next time, thanks to Kevin, and thanks for tuning in to The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.